a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 1. And if you'd like to follow along with an outline or write some notes, there is inside your bulletin a sermon notes page as well. I'm grateful for the work God does in us when we gather together to worship. We worship in song, we worship in prayer, we worship through preaching and through fellowship. The fact is, I'd say we need the people around us. Like, I need you. We need the people around us. The people around us need us. And I am grateful that God gives one another to us. We have God's Word. We've been in the Gospel of Luke. And we're still working our way through chapter 1, which has 80 verses, a very long chapter. And here's where we've been so far. An angel named Gabriel has been busy. A couple of big birth announcements in the course of six months. It begins when the angel Gabriel is sent from God to make a birth announcement in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple, to a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah is an older man who he and his wife have been unable to have children and have prayed for years that God would give them children and no children. But the angel comes to tell Gabriel, you will have a child. And in fact, this child, the answer to your prayer, you are going to name him John. He's going to be the long-awaited prophet who's going to prepare people for the Lord. Six months later, the same angel, Gabriel, is sent to a very different person in many ways. Not an old married man unable to have kids, but a young unmarried woman who is a virgin and is also told she is going to conceive. And this time, told that she's going to bear a son, and this one also is going to have a name. The name will be Jesus, and he will be one who is Israel's promised Messiah. The long-awaited king to sit on the throne of David and to reign forever. We just sang about that, and this is what Mary was told. The one who will be conceived in your womb, by the way, will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will remain a virgin until you're married, but you will still conceive. This is miraculous. And this baby to be born will be the very son of God. And so we left off, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, with this faith-filled, beautiful, simple declaration by Mary, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's where we left off last week. And today, we're going to see these two women, the wife of Zechariah named Elizabeth, who is pregnant, and Mary, who has now conceived and is pregnant. And we're going to see these two women getting together. And in seeing them getting together, I think we will hear this, that there is humble joy and scripture-saturated rejoicing when believers get together to recount what God has done and what God is doing. So, if you're able to, would you stand and we'll read the very word of God, Luke 1, 39 through 56. Let's first pray. God, we, we pray again. Uh, we can't do it enough. We need your help again. Uh, already, maybe in the, like, the little introduction to the sermon, our minds have wandered. My thoughts have even wandered while I'm talking. And so, God, would you help me, would you help us to have our minds fixed now on your words, that our hearts might grow in affection, that the result of our time in your word might be humble joy and scripture-saturated rejoicing. You can make that happen, and I can't, so please do that now in me and in us 
for the good of those around us, for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, God's Word says this, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. You can be seated. Well, I want to walk through this. I want to spend some time on application for us in this. And we begin with the first couple of verses. They really kind of put the last two passages together because the only thing that tied them together kind of was Gabriel, the angel, coming to Zechariah and then coming to Mary. And now there's two pregnant women and now the two pregnant women are going to come together. Notice a couple of things about their coming together in verses 39 and 40. It says, in those days Mary arose and went. So they're separated by a number of miles and notice the one who initiates. It is the younger one, younger by far, Mary, who arises and with haste, okay? So we know the when, it's with haste. After Mary hears the announcement from Gabriel, we presume she hasn't even gone to talk to Joseph yet and figure out what she's going to say, maybe not even her family, but she arises and goes with haste. We don't know if she was commanded by God, we don't know, just told that it happens right away. Now where does she go? Where is she going? Take a look at this. It says she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Remember that Zechariah and Elizabeth of a priestly family, Zechariah had work that he would do a couple weeks out of the year in the temple in Jerusalem. Around Jerusalem, an area was often referred to as the hill country. And so more than likely, it's somewhere outside of Jerusalem. This would be 70 plus miles south of Nazareth. Remember, Mary's from this no-name town of Nazareth, little town up in the north. So if she's traveling to go be with Elizabeth in the hill country, we're presuming 70-plus mile journey that she's got to make. Now, we've got some questions 
Like, if Mary's a teenage, newly pregnant teenage virgin, right, in this time of history, in that part of the world, in that kind of terrain, we would assume that she would not travel this whole distance alone. But we don't know. We're not told of anybody that came with her. We just, we just don't know. That's not an important detail. It's something I'm curious about, but it's not an important detail uh, enough that it would be here in the text. But she's going, maybe because God told her to go. Maybe she's just not wanting to have this conversation with Joseph that she knows she has to have. We don't know. I assume she's going because she is a faithful, humble servant of the Lord who desires fellowship with somebody who might get where she's at. Remember, the angel Gabriel told Mary that your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age is pregnant. Well, that was like unexpected by everybody, just as Mary's pregnancy unexpected by everybody. And so maybe Mary, this humble, faithful young woman, is just like, that lady's going to get me. Maybe not everybody else is going to get me, but she's going to get me. So I need to make this trip. We don't know why. But Mary, regardless, makes the trip, takes initiative, and goes to have fellowship with Elizabeth. What happens when she gets there? Well, we know by the last verse that she's going to spend three months there, but we just get a snippet of what happens over the course of that three months. We're told initially what happens when she shows up and is greeted. I love this account in verses 40, actually 41 through 45. So let's look at that here for a moment. We're going to see humble joy. Look at verse 41 first. It says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? So how does Elizabeth react to Mary's coming to visit her? She gets a kick out of it, literally. Get it? Uh, and she, more importantly, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before. Remember that the, the angel Gabriel had told her that you, your son in your womb, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. And we recalled that before Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit would just come to certain people at certain times for certain purposes. And at this time, the Holy Spirit comes to fill Elizabeth. It seems that she might say the words that she's about to say and have the knowledge that she suddenly has. We're not told anything about Mary explaining her situation. And Mary knew Elizabeth was pregnant because the angel Gabriel told her. But the angel Gabriel didn't tell Elizabeth that Mary was pregnant, right? So, all of a sudden, the baby leaps in her womb as her relative, her younger relative Mary, just shows up. And then, listen to what we hear from Elizabeth. Verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You're going to just note the joy as we walk through this. It says she exclaimed with a loud cry. It, the first thing wasn't question, right? The first thing is just a rejoicing, and it seems that she knows right away that Mary, though a virgin, is pregnant. The Holy Spirit must have revealed that to her, and she's going to use this word blessed. We're going to see it four times in the passage. Three times Elizabeth will use it. 
Two of the times, it's one word in Greek, and two times it's another word. We just translate it blessed both times. It's two different Greek words. And in verse 42, it's blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. There, it just means praised or well spoken of. I love how Mary shows up pregnant. She's not married yet, and the first words that are coming from Elizabeth are not some questions about how did this happen, are not some shaming of Mary, but her, her words, filled by the Holy Spirit, she is rejoicing in what is going on, especially in praise of the baby inside of Mary. Skip ahead to verse 44. We'll come back to 43 here in a second. Verse 44 For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She's interpreting this leaping of John in her womb as a leaping for joy. Not only was Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit and excited about Mary and Jesus in her womb showing up, but even John in the womb is so excited that he's leaping for joy is the interpretation that Elizabeth has. And then verse 45, and blessed is she... And this is a different word for blessed. This one just means happy. Okay? Happy is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love how the older Elizabeth just encourages the younger Mary in her faith. Mary believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed this, and she needs... like. This is the kind of thing that who knows who else is going to believe Mary. But Mary believed what the Lord said through the angel. And here she has an older woman commending her for her faith. Right? Blessed, blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What an encouragement that must have been for young Mary to hear those words. And I love the humility that we see. So there's certainly great joy, but another fruit of the Spirit here in Elizabeth, being filled by the Spirit, is just humility. Look at verse 43. That's the one we skipped. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There's been some revealing of the Holy Spirit to Elizabeth that she knows. She's not just happy that Mary showed up. It's the fact that Mary is the mother of her Lord. Right, This baby in Mary's womb already referred to as the Lord of Elizabeth. And so she's humbled that the Lord and Mary would come and be in her very presence. So I'm grateful that old Elizabeth, young Mary, get together. Humble joy is what we see in this getting together. But then we get to hear from Mary. And, and these are the rest of the verses, 46 to 56. We get to hear from Mary. What we're going to hear from Mary is Scripture-saturated rejoicing in song. Okay, how many of you are a fan of musicals? Like you like that kind of, you like musicals. How many of you think it's a little strange when you're watching, okay, a few people too. Like you're watching people act and play a part, and then all of a sudden they're singing. Like where did that come from? Nobody does that in real life. Well, actually they do. I do it all the time. Uh, but, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I used to kind of think musicals are weird because it's like, well, here's a narrative of what's happening and then all of a sudden somebody's singing. That seems a little bit strange. To be honest with you, actually, when I 
have been a student of Scripture for some time now, when I would get to the more poetic parts of Scripture, I would, I would be less engaged. Right? So, so this would be a poetic part of Scripture. It's written as poetry, written as a hymn. That's the form that it has. And this would be the kind of thing that you're like, man, you know, uh, thinking about like fast forward. I'm, I'm thinking VHS days, right? But if you're watching a movie that's a musical, oh, they're going to sing a song again. I'm just going to skip ahead. If you do that, you miss a, an incredibly important part because a lot of times uh, some of the heart, some of the advancing of the plot is happening in the song itself. So you cannot, you should not skip the song. And certainly as we're walking through scripture, every word of it inspired by God, you get to a song, don't skip it, right? Don't skip this. There's, there's great things here in Mary's song. If it's kind of like hymnotic in its form, I want us to notice maybe three kind of different verses within it. The first verse is just kind of tells us what it is. So Mary said, this is verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's her response. This, this hymn that she's about to write, she's already kind of letting us know what kind of hymn it's going to be. This is not a hymn of lament. This is something where, I mean, think about what Mary, like how she could have been feeling at this time. Super anxious, for sure. Like, what is my life going to look like? I am carrying in my womb the Son of God who will sit on the throne of King David, reigning forever. I'm not even married yet. All sorts of things. But what does she do? She sings a song of rejoicing and magnifying the Lord, God her Savior. That's how she begins. And it's really kind of personal here at the beginning. It's a song of personal praise to start. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She uses that same title for herself again. I am the servant of the Lord, remember she said. Now he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. She knows who she is. I'm just a young, unmarried, virgin woman from nowheresville, Nazareth. But he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's that second use of the word again, blessed or happy. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Right? This is just personal praise. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary's life has suddenly, in a moment, been flipped upside down because the mighty, holy God has done a great thing for her. Right? So her life flipped upside down. What does she do with that? Oh, run in fear because of it? No, she rejoices and magnifies the Lord. Now you'll note, as you walk through this, if you remember some Old Testament uh, hymns, after Hannah found out she was pregnant uh, with Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she also has a prayer or a song that follows, and it sounds an awful lot like what Mary's saying right here. I think Mary knew some scripture, right? The second verse of her hymn comes in verses 50 to 53. And here, you know, it starts with this personal praise. He has done great things for me, and then she starts to expand it. 
because she recognizes in verse 2 of her hymn that this is, this is not just me. God doesn't just come and flip my world upside down. God has been doing this. This is his pattern of working in the world for all of history. This is what God does. This is what he's like. And so in verses 50 to 53, his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. And now listen, here's the flipping that God does. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. There's a flipping that God is doing in his kingdom work, which will be a theme that we'll see again and again here in the Gospel of Luke. The way that our God reigns is he's always taking things that you would expect and kind of flipping them upside down. And Mary rejoices in that in her song, verse 2, which is verses 50 to 53. And again, you read this section, this is going to sound a lot like, like I was talking with with our family last night as we were walking through this. If if I didn't tell you this is Luke chapter 1 and you just read Mary's song, you'd think I was reading out of Psalms. It sounds like one of the Psalms. Mary seems to know Scripture quite well. And then him, verse 3, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel. Here we go again, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She's remembering that God is a God who is faithful to keep His promises. God made a covenant with His people, and He's going to keep it. He made a promise to Abraham that through him all of the nations on the earth would be blessed, and out of him would come a mighty nation, and God is faithful to fulfill that promise. Ever since Abraham, the people have failed again and again and again, but God has been merciful to them and shown them what it is that he intends to do for his glory. God has not forgotten his people. He's not given up on them. And Mary remembers that. And she, being one of God's people, is very excited about that, very grateful for this. And so she rejoices in it. And the song is done, and then we're just given this narrative comment, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Okay? So now it takes the setting back for Mary's back in Nazareth, and then some, somewhere in the hill country is still Elizabeth. Now, if you're doing the math on this, when Mary found out she was going to be conceiving through the power of the Holy Spirit, how many months along was Elizabeth? Six months, and now if it's three months later, it's nine months. So it's about time for Elizabeth to have the baby, and Mary has left town to go back to Nazareth. All right, so that's where we're at. This is, again, an orderly account written by Luke that we might be more certain of the things that we have been taught. There's things we can learn and know from this, and then there's application for this, for us in this. So what is some application for us in this? One. I think we can learn from this passage that we need to get together for spirit-led, meaningful fellowship. It is good for God's people to get together for spirit-led, meaningful fellowship. I love that in this passage, it is young Mary who's the one taking the initiative. I love that. 
that she is taking this journey of 70 plus miles through dangerous terrain with all kinds of other dangers, but she is seeking out fellowship with her relative Elizabeth. And the result is humble joy and scripture-saturated rejoicing. Now think about these two women, how, how beneficial it would be for both of them to be together. Elizabeth is in her last trimester of pregnancy. It's getting a bit uncomfortable probably for her. Amen, Hannah? Right? Uh, <laughs> right? So in her life, but she's old. Uh, well, sorry, advanced in years, right? That's the terminology that Scripture used. She's advanced in years. I'm sure she's already made the comment to Zechariah, babe, I'm too old for this. Like, I just, I don't think, I don't think I can, like, I'm, I'm not doing well, right? And probably, by God's grace, Zechariah can't say anything to her. He's still mute at the time, right? Uh, so, so she's thinking, praise God that he cannot respond to my complaining right now, right? But so, so there's Elizabeth, kind of feeling probably quite alone. Older woman, now pregnant, husband can't talk, and Mary shows up at the door. Think about Mary. Mary, with all of the anxiety on her for what is going to come in the days ahead, she comes and, man, they needed each other. Elizabeth and Mary needed to get together for some spirit-led, meaningful fellowship, and we need that too. Maybe the journey is 70-plus miles across some rocky terrain, but probably the people that God gives us to have fellowship with are probably sitting in here with us right now. And so, I'm going to encourage you, make the journey. Make, make the journey to be intentional, to be the one who takes initiative and seeks someone out and lets them know, I need some fellowship. I need, I need you. That's what we do in the body. We're okay to just admit that. I need you. Let's be together. Let's spend some time together. There's all sorts of ways that we kind of get like, like fake community kind of, like through a phone or something like that. We need real face-to-face, person-to-person time together. And so maybe that's a step you need to take this week. Maybe it starts by reaching out to somebody on your phone. Maybe it just starts by like the journey isn't 70 miles across some mountainous terrain. It's just like, hey, before I leave here today, I'm walking over to so-and-so, and and I'm going to talk to them and ask them if we can get together this week. That'd be great, right? Take advantage of these times that we're already together. We, we need each other. Just tell each other, like, I need a mentor. I need a friend. I need somebody to cry with. I need somebody to laugh with. I just, I'm lonely, and I just need somebody to be with. Like, just be honest with each other. Hey, do you want to get together this week? And, and, and maybe another thing we can learn from Elizabeth and Mary, don't limit yourself to people that are about at your age and life stage. Right? What a beautiful thing that Mary, remember, probably a teenager, and Elizabeth probably beyond the years of childbearing, so there's, there's a generational gap there, but they're enjoying rich fellowship together. That's one of the beauties of the church. Right? I love that even in welcoming new members to the church today, we've got single people, we've got married people, we've got young people, and <laughs> Virginia said it, I didn't say it, right? Uh, you're not old yet, but older, right? A little bit older than the other people, right? So, so this is the church. The church is made up of all different kinds of people and all different kinds of life stages, and we need to get together for rich, meaningful, spirit-led fellowship 
And I think what could come from it would be humble joy and Scripture-saturated rejoicing, as happened for these two. So uh, that's maybe one point of application. Um, Maybe I add to that, though. Pray that God would make it clear to you. Who do I need to go have some fellowship with? Just pray. Just, just, so I put, I think, right in your scripture notes, or sermon notes, didn't I? Yeah. I put there, I need to get together with, and then I just put a blank. Like, you can fill that in. If, if God's been just kind of like bringing something to your, someone to your mind right now, just write that down. Like, I need to get together with them. Like, this is not a, a, like a, man, we're going to be doing this every week for the next, maybe it turns into that. Maybe it's just, I just need to get together with you this week. Can we get together? Working something out. And then pray, like, God, would you, would you help this to be beneficial? I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but I think it's just good for us to be together. Maybe, maybe you jump into kind of a more formal way. This is what life groups do each week. We usually walk away from our life group just feeling fed and encouraged and built up. Maybe it's just having somebody over to your house. We just had some people over uh, from, from our church over to our house uh, last week. You've got to do a little work if you do that. You've got to clean up a little bit and stuff. But, man, it's good. Like, we got done with that, and we were tired, and we were really built up by that. Application number two. We noticed how Mary's hymn was saturated with Scripture. Now, this could have just been given to her completely supernaturally on the spot, but I don't doubt that Mary was well-versed in Scripture, and that's why when she started singing and writing a song, Scripture came out. Right? Right? Let me just address Awana kids. How many of you kids are in Awana? A lot of you are in Awana. There's a lot of you, right? Here's something I would say to you. You guys are doing hard work, and you're probably really good examples to the adults in the church. Because in Awana, you're saturating yourself with Scripture. You're memorizing Bible verses every single week. And that's a lot of work to memorize every week, but it's such a good thing to do to get those things in your head and in your heart to sink in and saturate you with that. So keep doing it. Middle school students, high school students, you get some excellent teaching from Pastor Nick and a number of other volunteers. Hopefully, you're also in your home spending some time together as a family in God's Word. And also, you're old enough by the time you're in middle school and high school to be reading the Word of God on your own. Saturate yourself with Scripture. We want to be people who just like are so saturated with Scripture that when we get squeezed, that's what comes out. It's uh, I mean, sunshine today. It's beautiful. I'm thinking like grilling season is coming soon. For some of you, that never stops. You're always grilling something. But for me, I'm like a fair weather griller. I haven't grilled for a while. But when, when I can do that again, I'm, I might have just changed something. Um, uh, if there's like a big heavy metal guitar sound coming in a little bit, it's because I did that accidentally. Um, no, so, so some of you, um, you're, you're about to start grilling again. And, and you've grilled before. I grilled when we were first married on this little, little charcoal grill. I still use a charcoal grill, but I've gotten a little better at it. I would dry out meat and burn it all the time because I wanted it to be cooked. Now I've learned, like, meat needs to marinate in something for a while. You don't just, like, quick scrub something over it and throw it on the grill. It's going to dry out. It needs to sit overnight and just kind of marinate in that so that it retains some flavor and some moisture when it's put to the heat. The same is true for us. We need to be marinating in Scripture that the full kind of flavor might come out. 
um, at some point. Goal is not just knowledge, though. As we're spending time in Scripture, it's not just like, you know, for you kids in Awana, it's not just like, oh, i got to get this thing signed. That's not it. Or for us as adults, like, I just want to know more. Yeah, we do want to know more, but our knowing more should lead to rejoicing more, right? That's what happens, that Mary, as she knows a lot of Scripture, what comes out is rejoicing. Her, her praying, her singing, sounds an awful lot like Scripture because that's what she's been taking in. Let's be a church like that, that just soaks in Scripture in Bible study, in worship services, in youth group, in Awana, on our own, as our families. We're just going to soak ourselves in scriptures that when we pray, when we sing, what's coming out sounds an awful lot like God's word. I want us to be people like that. I'm grateful that we can sing and for the songs that we sing that really help kind of saturate us with scripture words. As one guy says, the gospel is so good, it has to be sung, right? The gospel is such, uh, such good news, it has to be sung. Right? That's what we believe. And then the final application, just the gospel application, is simply this. Praise the Lord for his mercy. Two times in Mary's song, she brings us up. Verse 50, verse 55. The Lord is a merciful God. When we examine our lives and see his perfect holiness, which Mary also mentioned in her song, and we see our sinfulness and our humble estate, the only thing we can do is say, praise the Lord for his mercy, right? I, I know of his holiness. I know of my sinfulness. I know of my humble estate. If he doesn't lift me up, I'm, I'm doomed. And so praise the Lord for his mercy. We know that our sins are many. And if it were not for God's mercy, we would have no hope. If you don't know of God's mercy through tr- faith in Jesus, um, then I'd love to talk to you about that. If you do know of God's mercy through faith in Jesus, then we should sing about it, right? Scripture leads us to rejoicing, and there's many things we could rejoice about in this passage. One of those is that our God is merciful. And so, worship team, come up and help us sing with that, please. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have saved us into your church, into the body of Christ. Thank you for the privilege of getting together today. I pray that this time together would spur us on that we might get together more for meaningful fellowship. I pray that you would move us to saturate ourselves with Scripture so that what comes out when we're squeezed is rejoicing. We come before your awesome presence today with deep humility because we see our sin. We know And the other people that live with us know that we have failed to love you and others well this week. We've been selfish, lustful, greedy. Our sins are many. But your mercy is more. And we're grateful for that. Help us now to rejoice in the forgiveness that you give to us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.